I am uh, continuing the theme from last week. Uh, I don't know if you noticed I got so excited on the first point, I never got to the second point. And uh, so in the few minutes that I'm going to take tonight, I want to deal with the second point of that piece that I was working on from this chapter here in the book of Exodus chapter 34. And last week, as we began to discuss this chapter, we were looking last week, the first point that we raised last week was that God needed to change Moses' character. God wanted to change his character so that he would have the mind of God, how God was looking at the situation, dealing with the people of God, so God wanted to change his character. Moses was still upset with the people, and rightly so. He was still wounded by what the people had done. But God was ready to move forward with that relationship, and God was in, pre in preparation to renew the covenant that God had made with God's own people. But Moses needed to get the character of God. And sometimes if we're going to minister to people, we have to have the character of God. And I told you last week that a part of that character deals with forgiveness. It deals with forgiveness, which means that I am not functioning in the character of God if I'm not willing to forgive. And I know some of us think that we have a right and a duty to hold on to grievances for long periods of time. And matter of fact, some of us feel like that anyone who tells us not to be angry is being uh, selfish and being uh, facetious in what they're doing because if they only knew what you went through, they would not only tell you to be angry, they would join you in your anger. The truth of the matter is that I don't care what you've been through. Forgiveness is not an option for you. Forgiveness is not an option for any believer because we have been forgiven so much. I don't know what sins you have committed or what sins you would like to commit. But what I do know is this, that all of us have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means that I need to make sure that while I am so busy holding someone else's sin up higher, that I'm not putting myself in a position to sin myself. And so the first thing we raised last week was God wants him to get a hold of the character of God. But having said that, I want to pull you into the next piece that God does. And we're in Exodus chapter 34. And in Exodus 34, there's something interesting here, and I'm moving this closer and closer. You notice all the other times Moses gets ready to move, every time he moves, there's one person that's always by his side. Joshua's always near him. He's always next to him. But when he's getting ready to go to the mountaintop this time, God tells Moses, bring no one with you. You can't have anybody by your side now. This is between me and you. There's no one that can be near you now. You need to be alone for this one. 
Matter of fact, I don't even want any animals at the base of the mountain when I speak to you. I don't even want them grazing at the base of the mountain. You need to be by yourself because what you're about to see and witness is something that you need to have an independent experience of. I need to say this, and uh, I've said it uh, humorously, but I'll say it in a way, hopefully you will receive it. I subscribe to the one-to-a-box theory. And that is simply this, everyone has to die for themselves. There are a lot of things you can do with other people, but you will die on your own. I don't care if someone else dies soon with you, you're going to die by yourself. And you've got to make sure that your relationship is sure. I had a young lady in class the other day who um, I think was being humorous, but uh, I took her for serious and, and had to say something about it. But she says that uh, because of her relationship with God and her, rela- and her relationship with her grandmother, her grandmother's a real Pentecostal woman and a great praying woman. So she says when she prays to God, she always reminds God that I'm her granddaughter. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't care who you know. You will have a a seven sons of Sceva experience when you come up against the enemy if you start calling out somebody else's name. For those of you who are not Bible scholars, that's in the book of Acts. It refers to the fact that man tried to cast out spirits by Paul's name. Look here. Jesus I know. Paul I know, but who are you? At which point they began to beat, yeah. That's the Bible, I didn't make it up. Some of y'all look at me like, oh, he just made, no, I didn't have to. The Bible already had your answer. You have to have your relationship with God. And in this case, Moses is told clearly, when you come up, Come up alone. You, you can't bring anyone with you. Verse 3 says it this way. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. No man. Nobody's coming up with you. You're by yourself. I want to talk with you. Verse 4, verse 4 says, And so he cut two tablets of stone, like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are stiff-necked, people and pardon our iniquities and our sins and take us as your inheritance. And then God says something to Moses that is really interesting. Moses makes his request. 
God does not respond to that request directly. Notice what the Lord says. He says, I make a covenant before all your people, I'm in verse 10, and will do marvels such as have not been done in the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I do with you. Observe what I command you this day. And then God lists out the enemies that he will take from them. But verse 12, God returns to something that he wants in exchange. And this is the second point of the message that I was raising last week. I will only get to this point, so stay with me for a moment. God says, I want you to see and understand my concerns. I want you to have my character, but I want you to know what I'm concerned about. I want you to know what I'm concerned about. You're worried about me going with you. That's already been established. I'm worried about how you're going to go. You're worried about me going with you. That's been established. I'm worried about who you are when you're traveling with me. You're worried about me going with you. I want to know if you have the concern that I have for the righteousness of my people. Because I can't handle this folk coming alongside of me and looking for me to bless and keep on forgiving if they don't understand what it takes to be in my presence. So Moses, I want you to have my concern. And there are three concerns that God offers to Moses. I'm going to give them to you real quick. God is concerned about their wickedness. God is concerned about their worship. And God is concerned about their willingness. Those three things. That's A, B, and C underneath point number two. Their wickedness, their worship, and their willingness. Their wickedness. God says, I need you to get this in your mind. This is A underneath this point of concern. My first concern is that while you're traveling, you're going to come in the midst of idol worshipers. You're going to be around people that don't honor me, that don't worship me. And you've already proven, being the people have proven, that the influence of Egypt and the stank of Egypt is still in their minds. They are mentally corrupted by their time in Egypt. They went to worship in the way Egyptians do. And I need to know that if I'm going to be with you, that you're not going to be influenced by anybody you come in contact with because you have a way and you have a God that you're looking for and depending on and I'm not going to share my glory with anybody else. I'm concerned about their wickedness. Lord, what do you mean? He says, look. He says, I'm going to bless y'all. He said, take heed to yourself. Lest you make a covenant, verse 12, with the inhabitants of the land where you're going. Lest it be a snare in your midst. Look at somebody now. Say, neighbor, watch out who you hang with. 
You know, I know some Christians who think that they can still hang with their old crowd and they think they're influencing them and they're really being influenced by them. Oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need that anymore. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, no, no. You keep sitting in that bar every, every day. It won't be long. It won't be long. It's funny how when you, when you broke, you can't get anybody to buy you a beer. You be wanting one sitting there thirsty, cold outside. You be thinking, mm, 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 mm. the minute you say, I'm not doing that no more, everybody. I'm not trying to preach on any particular liquor. Please excuse my, my reference here. But understand what I'm saying. Whatever it is, the taste you have in your mouth, Whatever is the thing that will pull you from God, when you're trying to do right, that thing will be right on you. When you were trying to fool around and mess up, you, could, you, could get in, you couldn't hardly get in trouble. You couldn't find trouble. Nobody would even look in your direction. The minute you say, I'm holy, I'm going to live right, I'm going to keep myself pure, I'm clean. Unstained, unspotted. The devil said, mm-hmm. Let's see what we can do to dirty that robe up a little bit. It is the truth. You have to be careful who you hang with. Verse 13 tells us what he means by this. He says, you shall destroy their altars, break down, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God said, you want to know how, how, how much I feel about this? My name Jealous. I'm jealous already. You even looked at him, I'm jealous. I'm jealous because you, you looked at the image. I'm jealous. You don't have to wonder how I feel about it. I'm jealous. Just call me Jealous. Call me jealous. That's what God says. He says, I don't want you to have anything at all to do with idol worships. Let me, let me break that down for current day believers. You know, I know that there are a number of things that people are lifting up to worship these days. There are a number of things and a number of ways in which people are telling folk how to be spiritual. And, and that's cute. There's all kinds of new spiritual groups going on. We're going to be spiritual. What church do you belong to? I don't belong to a church. I'm, an, I'm a spiritual person. What doctrine do you adhere to? I don't adhere to any doctrine. I'm spiritual. Who do you pray to? Well, I believe in many gods, many things. Oh. See, see we're not even in the same conversation here. You as a believer, now I don't care what anybody else does anywhere else, any other faith, they can do what they need to do. But I'm talking to disciples and I'm discipling you into truth here. As a believer, you have to be careful not to taste not, touch not, or handle not the unclean thing. In case you don't know, look it up, that's Bible. You can't play with it. You can't act like it's okay today. And tomorrow you're going to be okay. No. Well, you know, I, I'm not really into it, but I went to the meeting. 
What you doing at the meeting? One, one famous actor got upset because someone said he was a part of a large secular group and he was mad and they had a big falling out because they called his name out as being a member of this strange type of religion. And, and then came out, the, the fact was, the reason they were saying it was because he had been attending the meeting. If you go to the meeting, people automatically think you are part of the meeting. Hello? Well, you know, that's my friend. And your point is, maybe you need some new friends. You, Reverend, you just don't understand. They asked me to come, so I went. Well, there's some places I get asked to go that I can't go. I just can't go. I can't make that one. I, I'm not trying to be rude or mean, you know. There's certain places I can't go. There's certain things I can't do. Because, see, I could be sitting in a place having a cup of water. And if it's in the wrong glass, y'all will have it on Facebook. <laughs> you, you have to realize, and I'm not trying to be petty now, I'm trying to be real. You have to realize that the moment you start attending meetings of other religions, other things, other than your own faith, and you start getting things into your spirit, by allowing it into your spirit, it's going to take root somewhere. You cannot afford to let that stuff take root in you. And the worst thing of all, the hardest lie to ever refute is one tinge with a little bit of truth. And so because you think it's got truth attached to it, now all of a sudden you, you are aligning your mind with it. Don't let the enemy fool you. There are things that believers need to leave alone. Hello? He says you need to be, matter of fact, he says not only are you not to be around them, but destroy them. And then he says, in case you didn't understand that, I don't even want you to let your daughters marry them. Look at verse 15 and 16. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat at his sacrifice. Everything he speaks here are things that would later on happen in the kingdom. Y'all missing this? If only they had stuck with their own book, Solomon would not have had all those other places of worship in the kingdom of... You missed it, went over your head. I'm trying to tell you something. Whenever you start dibbling and dabbling before long, you will conform to that which you have been taught is wrong. And wrong will become right, and right will become optional. And whenever right becomes optional, you better believe it, your religion will soon be obsolete. I'm preaching now. He says, look, verse 16, he said, he, verse, in, in the verse 15, he says, sacrifice your gods, and one of them invites you, and then you eat of his sacrifice. 16 says, and you take his daughters for your sons, 
and his daughters play the harlot and they, and they're with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. He says, hold on, wait a minute. Don't, don't fool yourself. I'm going to put it in, in, a, in a simpler term. Light and dark can't stay together like that. You can't, you can't, you can't play those games. He says, verse 17, you shall make no molding God for yourself. Don't, 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 don't play with this thing. And as if to flip the script, he says, I want to talk about your wickedness. But since I'm talking about wickedness, I want to tell you what I want from you. I want you to be worshipers. So verse, verse 18, going down for a bit, uh, is all about worship. It's all about how God wants to be worshipped. And, and the worship is both it, the memory of what God has done and its celebration of what God has done and being in the presence of God and the preparation it takes to get into the presence of God. Stay with me. I, I see y'all looking at me kind of strange. Let me teach you a little while longer then. Listen. He says, verse 18, you need to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for those of you who don't know, is the remembrance of the Passover. He says, I need you to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread so that you can remember where you came from in Egypt. Lest you forget the bitterness of Egypt while in the wilderness, you need to worship me while remembering what you've been through. Let me, you missed that, went over somebody's head. Sometimes people fail to worship because they're living in their moment instead of looking back at their memory. Let me preach a little while. Because see, your moment may not be great, but if you think about what God's already done for you, your moment really doesn't matter in relation to what he's already taking you through and your memory will come to pass where you will remind yourself of what he's already done and what he promised that he's going to do so that the moment, the temporary thing you're in now, your temporary wilderness will not overwhelm you. And some of us are in the wilderness, but it's only temporary. We're traveling through a wilderness, but it's only temporary. I know it's not easy, but it's temporary. I know there's some dark days, but it's temporary. I know there's some hard trials, but they're temporary. And what God has already delivered you from. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say it like this. If he never does another thing, he's already done enough for you to shout your way into glory. Y'all, someone needs to help me right there. If he never does another blessed thing, he's already done enough for you to praise him all the days of your life. If he never gives you another deliverance or another breakthrough or another miracle, he's already done enough miracles that you ought to be praising him all the days of your life. That's why he says, I need you to remember. He says, I need you to remember. I, I need you, when you get to the month of Abe, he says, when you get to the month of Abe, that's a, approximately around April. He says, I want you to remember the Passover. I want you to remember what, what's going on. 
He says, and I, and I want you to not only remember it, but I need you to make some sacrifices as a result of your memory. He says, and, uh, and, and I need you to know, I need you to know, this going to mess with somebody's head, that I need to recognize in you, not only that you have come to worship me, but there's a willingness in your worship. Come on back. I'm trying to help somebody now. I'm talking about God's concerns. He says, look, keep the feast. But then I need you to realize that all the firstborn belong to me. I've already given firstborn. I've already saved your firstborn, so everything else that comes up is mine. He says, it's mine. And if you're really going to worship me, you're going to show your willingness to give me back what's mine. That's what God said. Teach, Pastor. He says, I need to see a willingness in you. Matter of fact, he says, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. None. What you say? How many? None shall appear before me. Empty-handed. Let me, let me help some parents in here who still have children. I know some of y'all are older and your kids are grown, but you have never seen your child to school church without money. Teach them how to tithe. Give them a dollar and tell them to put a dime in church on Sunday. Because they need to learn never to worship empty-handed. You want to raise a tither? Start them when they're children. Don't wait till they get adults and then try to tell them about giving. Teach them how to give young. Let them volunteer young. Let them be willing young. Because if you nurture willingness in them, when they get old, it won't be hard for them to give a hundred out of a thousand because they've been used to giving. They understand what it means to give God back what belongs to God. Ah... Yeah, yeah I, I told y'all this before. Man, man made two hundred and had to give God his tithes, forty dollars. It was ooh, getting kind of steep. Made five hundred, had to give God back his tithes. Y'all know how this go. By the time he got to making a thousand, and that tithe looked at that check, he went to God. And said, "This is a lot of money." God said, "I can make it easy for you." I can put you back at 200 where you were comfortable. Let me help you right here. You, you, you missed that. It went over your head. Look, God will bless you up to the level of your willingness to remain faithful. Look at somebody ask him, can he trust you with it? Okay. I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to make a point here. What, what do you mean by willingness? Watch this now. He says, look, uh, verse 21 says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and harvest you shall rest. And verse 22 says, and you shall observe the first, first feast of weeks and the first fruit of the wheat in the harvest, the, first, the feast of being gathering at the end of the year. He says, I want you to get in a place where you understand that my worship is attached to your willingness. Because, see, if you start thinking that your work is more important than my worship, then you'll go and do stuff 
when you ought to be in worship instead of, oh, you're preaching in here, watch. Listen, you've got to realize that my worship is always attached to your willingness. And it's up to you to decide how willing you are to expose yourself to the hand of God. Okay, watch. L last, last, lastly, and I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to close right here. He says to them, he says, I want you to do this for me. I want you to have your men get in the place that they can be presented before the Lord. I, I want them to appear before the Lord. Now, I, I know this is patriarchal. And, and, and please forgive me because I'm going to make a leap to the New Testament. Because, see, in the New Testament, God does not ascribe this to a male genitalia thing. God believes and describes in the New Testament that the people of God, the body of Christ, the entirety of us, need to present our bodies as living sacrifices, not just the men, but the sisters too. Holy and accept unto God, which he says is our reasonable service, and be not conformed back again to the image thing to the things of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind if you've been changed you have had a renewal of your mind and of your heart you have a new circumcision and the circumcision is not of your flesh genitalia but is a circumcision of your heart and if your heart has been circumcised by the love of God then your heart ought to be right with God and your heart ought to be willing to sacrifice on that behalf of God and live like God wants you to live. God wants you to be concerned about the things he's concerned with. Somebody give God a praise. Somebody bless the Lord in this place. Somebody bless the Lord in this place.